What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. What I do here is a daily live stream, and I put it out in podcast form. If you want to take part in the live streams, you can follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner, or better yet, go to the telegram t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Also, check out the website bitcoinandmarkets.com. Sign up for the free tier, get notified of all my content, get a free weekly newsletter. And there you can also become a full member and support me for $5 a month and support this unique perspective in Bitcoin. So I want to thank everyone that supports over there on BitcoinAndMarkets.com. If you're new, I hope you enjoy the episode. Subscribe, like, share, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com. Okay, let's get into today's show. Hey guys, jumping in here on the edit before we get started. I talk about a lot of charts here on this episode. You can find all those at the associated post, bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash E300. Every time I talk about a chart on the podcast, it should be in the associated post. So check that first. It's just uh, at the website forward slash E and then the episode number. Also, you'll notice there's some audio issues going on. Uh, I think it is with my streaming software. I'm trying to figure that out. Uh, it also could be my microphone and my computer setup. Uh, it's been about five years since I've upgraded my microphone. If you want to help me increase the quality of this show, you can do so by becoming a paid member over on bitcoinandmarkets.com. I've recently added two new tiers. There is, of course, the member tier for $5 a month and now a new professional tier. So if you uh, find yourself able to support a little bit more, then you can uh, go up to that tier. And then finally, a premium tier, which is for people that want to really become a patron of the show. And also, uh, that comes with one-on-one communication with me. So if you want to, you know, text me or you want to have a 30-minute phone call once a month or something like that, that is in the premium tier. So check out those new tiers over at BitcoinAndMarkets.com. And I appreciate everybody who supports the show. Today is Friday, the 13th, January 2023, and man, did we have a big Bitcoin price pump over the last few hours. So we're going to cover that today, um, go into a few charts and talk about some of the implications, what I see coming in the next little while. And then we're going to talk about some drama in the space with the Winklevoss being sued by the SEC, read through an article on that. Um, and that's about it, I think. Oh, no, a few things about Japan. So the yield curve control is having trouble over there in Japan once again. So we're going to go over uh, what's going on with the Japanese 10-year yields and then open it up to the guys over there on Telegram. So if you don't know, this is going out over Telegram. That's the home base. Then Twitter uh, video, whatever they do, they call it live video, and then over on YouTube at BTC Market Update. So, uh, if you guys want to watch on any of those different platforms, you guys can check those out. I'd appreciate people subscribing to the YouTube and to the Rumble channels as well. I can't live stream to the Rumble yet. Uh, so, just a little background on that I had a YouTube channel for years and it got terminated and couldn't get it back. Uh, so, all of that. Previous work is down the drain, but I have now uh, restarted a new YouTube channel. So we're going to go with that and see how that works. Anyways, okay, let's get into the price. And guys, this is really exciting. 
welcome and or i shouldn't say welcome i should say congratulations if you have made it through the bear market so far because it has been absolutely brutal um i'm going to be sharing these charts to you guys on telegram um those those watching live can see my charts so let me copy and paste over there to telegram this is the long-term kind of bitcoin chart and man has it been bad so bitcoin topped out let's see january or sorry november 10th back in 2021 was the top uh back then the stock market peaked out right uh january 4th of 2022 so over a year ago was the top for the stock market bitcoin topped before so perhaps bitcoin is the early signal and i was saying that uh coming down here a lot where the stock market looked like it was gonna break out but bitcoin wasn't moving i said oh well bitcoin is the signal and maybe that means stocks are gonna you know fail to break out at this point um but if we're using that same logic now on the other side we have bitcoin breaking out and the stock market trying to follow the stock market is actually having a down day where bitcoin is having a green day but we'll take a look at that a little bit more in depth so let's zoom in here and if you guys don't know this green horizontal line i have been talking about for a very long time and that is the volume by price so where the biggest chunk of volume is in the chart um, is that green horizontal line so that usually provides resistance to the price and once we get over that it's kind of like you know going up a hill and then back down a hill you get some momentum going back down that hill and in this case going down will be the price going up and let me bring that up so it's a little bit better visual for you guys okay so this is the volume by price i'll just zoom it to about right here let me hide this beautiful rocket okay so you can see the volume by price here as we're coming up to nineteen thousand. that's where this big spike is on the right hand side i'm going to share that into telegram now and you can see that's 19,000 is right where that big volume spike is. And that usually provides resistance. And the reason for that, uh, a lot of people don't like technical analysis. And I understand why you don't. But I think of it as a bunch of shelling points. You know, like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the idea of shelling point. Um, most of you on Telegram probably are. But for those listening on Twitter or on YouTube or on the podcast later, uh, shelling points it's an idea from game theory that if something stands out, it tends to attract attention. So it, just a simple example you could do is you can have a, a piece of paper or up on a screen or something. You have uh, four boxes, three of them are blue and one of them is red. And you tell in, in, like in a classroom setting, and then you ask two people in the classroom, you say, okay, um, independently, I want you guys with, you know, without knowing what the other picked, I want you to pick one of the boxes. And if you can both pick the same box, then you get a dollar. All right. And they will almost universally pick the red box just because there's something different about it because there's a shelling point there. All right. Now, same thing with charts and reading charts. 
that you're trying to identify where other people are looking, where other people are putting their bids. What point on the chart is going to make somebody else get excited or scared or panicked? All right. So that's that's how I look at technical analysis. And and then on top of that, you have to look at uh, the fundamentals, too. So what I've been saying for a while is that we have seller exhaustion. And I kind of feel that in the market because it's such a painful bear market. There is, you know, where is the marginal Bitcoin going to come from to sell at this point? So not technical analysis can't be done in a vacuum. Sometimes it can. But um, usually you have to pair that with a fundamental understanding of the market, of the subject matter of what you are looking at, what industry you're looking at. So that's how I look at this. Um, that's how I look at technical analysis. And when you see a volume by price here, that means a lot of other people are, have been at the chart at this point. You know, they've touched the chart. They've touched the price. They've, they've had these touch points at this price. So this is the price that is attracting a lot of attention. What, would else, what else would that attract? That would attract a lot of asks. So maybe somebody that wants to actually sell their Bitcoin, they're going to say, well, I don't want to sell it for less than 19000 And look, they'll probably get back up here because there's been so much action at 19000 So I'm going to put my ask at 19000 So the price, you know, the, the bids and the, the asks and stuff will be centered around these other places of volume. Anyway, so it acts like a magnet for the price, right? And resistance, a magnet and resistance. Anyway, okay, so that is the, once you get on top up over this, then you can, you'll most likely slide down the volume to the next one, and the next one being at 23,000. So um, if we can break through this zone, which I'm not saying that we will, I, this is pretty significant resistance at this juncture. So if we can, then we most likely will slide all the way up, make our way all the way up to 23,000. Um, and then that'll be another decision point. Um, of course, there's all sorts of other things that we can look at that are also important, like the moving averages. So that's the weekly, but let's take a look at the daily. Um, look at this. So we are just inches away from the 200-day moving average and i'll post this into telegram we're just inches away from this 200 day and uh, that is once again another shelling point on the chart some people look at moving averages some people look at the volume by price um some people look at the like ichimoku cloud or the Heikinashi candles or there's all sorts of different things that people look at rsi some of these big things um, are even built into proprietary indicators. So these proprietary indicators that you see people hawking, right? They're building these proprietary indicators. Usually what they're doing is they're just adding together, putting some formula together of basic technical analysis tools like RSI, like MACD, like moving averages. So when you look at a moving average, you're seeing the compound or when you're looking at these basic indicators, you're seeing a snapshot of what many people are looking at, many of these shelling points coming together. And then on top of that, you can add like 
uh, your fundamental understanding of what's going on in the space. So anyway, uh, I think, yeah, if we continue above and we break out and we, we close above the 200 day, um, and we stay up there for even one day, I think that is a massive, massive signal. Uh, we have come a long way in a short amount of time. I've been talking about this beautiful shape of this recent price action is just this nice, beautiful, you know, exponential curve that reminds me a lot of another one. And let me zoom out here and go back to 2015. We're going way back in time, way back in time. So let's go back to this one. And this was the rally that took us out of the bear market back then. Uh, and it looks very similar. I mean, this one didn't rally right off the bottom because in 2015, we actually hit the bottom in January, but it was sideways for a very long time, right? Um, and then we had a little dip, another little dip. You could uh, compare this to maybe the FTX type collapse right here. And then we had an exponential rise and I need needed the other thing here. So an exponential rise up. So now I'm gonna share that with the Telegram folks. So that's the 2015 comparison. And it feels a lot like that because 2014, 15 was also a very painful bear market. That was the Mt. Gox debacle um, and fallout where a lot of people, including myself, we didn't know if Bitcoin was actually going to survive. You know, Mt. Gox, imagine this. FTX was a big deal, right? But they, they didn't even hold any Bitcoin. It came out that they held like 11 Bitcoins, was it? Or it was some tiny, tiny amount. FTX didn't even hold any Bitcoin. But Mt. Gox had 75% of all Bitcoin they, or 75% of all trade volume, that's what it was. 75% of all trade volume was on Mt. Gox. 800,000 Bitcoins were lost in the hack. 800,000. That, it was such a gigantic event that people weren't sure if this would survive or how long it would take to recover from something like this or something like Mt. Gox because it was so monumental and it took a very long, painful bear market with things like the bear whale was in there. Um, and right towards the end here, towards the end of 2015 was when we had a right around here, I think, um, was where we had the it wasn't Segwit2x. What was it called? It was when Gavin Andreessen put in the 20 megabyte block into his new client software. And I can't remember now what that client software was called. Oh my gosh, I'm having a brain fart here. But Gavin Andreessen put the 20 megabyte block into his like block limit into his new implementation of the Bitcoin software and put it out there. And that's what started the wars, you know, the, the scaling wars. 
and we had a big collapse here. And just imagine that, like, that's a fundamental thing that's going on in Bitcoin after Mount Gox. People didn't know if it was going to survive. That's kind of how people are acting today a little bit, too. You get the same kind of feeling. I mean, I don't think the hardcore Bitcoiners are worried at all about if Bitcoin is going to survive or not. But you get a similar feeling in the in the entire space that they don't know. Like, look, just we're going to talk about this in a second with the SEC going after the Winkle boss and Gemini now. And I mean, they could go after everybody, right? And Bitcoiners said this, that this was these were unregistered securities. Don't freaking touch these altcoins. Don't get involved with this DeFi crap. And we said this and they still do it. And now the whole, like that side of the market, that's not the Bitcoin fundamentalists. They are having the same feeling that Bitcoiners had back in 2015 with the scaling war starting and after the Mount Gox and like, it felt like this was not actually going to happen. So we'll, <laughs> it might be that it won't happen for the altcoins. Um, I don't think they'll ever go away completely because there's still the Nigerian Prince scam that still works. There's all these Ponzi and pyramid schemes that happen all the time. So these altcoins will never go away completely, but they will be seen in that light. You know, they'll be seen like pink sheet stocks, not like real stocks. And Bitcoin is the only thing in the space that is real. Anyway, so they're going through the same existential thing. And so I feel a similar feeling in the market today as back at the end of 2015. And look at that shape. I mean, that shape, uh, this exponential shape right here, uh, right at the end of 2015. So starting basically October through November. Yes, October, all of October and into the first like week of November, that shape is kind of what it's looking like today so maybe a little bit slower than today but we'll see we'll see how that how that turns out so that's what i have on well let me bring up the rsi because point btc in the server brought up rsi so let's do that this is the daily rsi and it's looking really nice 83 right now on the daily RSI, and he made the point that this is the highest since back in 2021, uh, the beginning of 2021, really, January of 2021. And yeah, that's that's very interesting. But the first time in that cycle that it got this high was, you know, post-COVID collapse, post-having into July of 20, 2020, and we got this high on the, on the RSI. So let me show you what I'm looking at right here. I'm looking at this box and I will share this into the telegram. So what did that first time that RSI got that high back in that cycle, July of 2020, that signaled that the bull market was on. We had a little pull. And actually, if we zoom in right there, this is interesting. Okay. I didn't even notice this, but this is where we're looking. August of 2020, and what do we see here? We see a nice little exponential bump up. Wow, okay. And that was only, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven days, roughly seven days. And our exponential that we've had now is a little bit more than seven days, but not much. It kind of looks a little similar here. It does. 
it just is happening a little bit like that happened long after the COVID was the bottom. And then we had that big bounce and then we kind of went sideways after the having. Um, so the buildup was different, but the action today is similar to this action back in August of 2020. So that was what really kicked off the bull market into 2021. Very interesting. All right. But let, oh yeah, let's take a look back at the RSI. So what happened to the RSI? And you can see if we just zoom out on this, we have um, multiple peaks. So just because it's high now, that doesn't mean it has to, you know, correct a lot because there was a lot of high CPI after that for the whole rest of the year, basically from July through the end of 2020, it was high CPI or high RSI. So I shared that there on Telegram. So very, very interesting, guys. Um, this doesn't have to be, of course, the end of the bear market, but it looks very nice. And if we break that 200-day moving average, I mean, that's a very good sign for me. So let's see if we can break through that. If not, we're getting closer, right? We're getting closer to the end of this bear market. I can't see it hit breaking the 200-day or even touching the 200-day and then going to, you know, vastly lower lows. So the worst might be behind us. Uh, we might have entered a sideways period, but I think, and man, I am a perma bull, so take that for what it's worth. But if we touch or surpass the 200-day, I think the bottom is in. Um, I don't think we'll make it, make new lows. Anyway, okay, let's go on to, I have another chart here. I wanted to bring this up because we were talking about CPI yesterday, right? And I talked about it on FedWatch as well. If you guys joined 1230 Eastern, I do a show with Bitcoin Magazine on their YouTube and Rumble channels, and it's called FedWatch. And we, we do a lot more central bank stuff, um, try to dive in. And it's a bigger platform uh, to talk about this these things. But anyway, uh, I talked about CPI a lot yesterday. And the number for the all items less shelter was not out. And this is one thing I've been look, watching closely because core, you know, core CPI, which did accelerate a little bit in December, it is a huge portion of that is shelter. And shelter is the lagging indicator. So what happens if we take shelter out of CPI? Because if it's lagging, we know it's going to come down, right? We can at least say there's a high, high probability that shelter will peak at some point in the near term and start coming down. So with that, let's take a look at CPI X shelter. And what do we see in December? It was 0.8%, negative 0.8%. That is very, very low. And five out of the last six months, X shelter was negative. They were negative. I mean, look at that. I mean, just X shelter, we're looking at June of 2022 was 1.7% month on month. 
And July, boom, negative 0.3%. That was peak CPI. That was the brick wall that we hit. And what do we see since then? We see a continued deceleration, or not deceleration. We see a um, continued move into the negative. All right, we had a negative print in headline, 0.1% yesterday for CPI. And that means prices in general, general price level went down last month. Deflation, well, it's not really deflation, but it's price declines, actual price declines, not just a slowing in the price increases. It's a actual price decline on an absolute term, like absolute basis. So anyway, I thought that was very interesting. So let's go on to this story with the Winklevi. So you guys probably heard this. Um, SEC sues the Winklevoss brothers Gemini over crypto lending program. US, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission charged crypto companies Genesis Global Capital and Gemini Trust for allegedly offering unregistered securities to investors through a lending program. Now, before, actually, before I go any further, I think the Winklevoss have been, I put them actually as a better influence than Barry Silbert (laughs) in the space. I I don't, I I think Barry is just Barry. He is a shit coiner, but I don't think he's extremely anti-Bitcoin. And I don't think the Winklevoss are either. But when I look at other CEOs like Brian Armstrong, I think he's straight up anti-Bitcoin. But the Winklevoss, I kind of am neutral on. So anyways, that's just a perspective from a guy that's been around for a while in this space. Okay. um, In February 2021, crypto exchange Gemini, co-founded by twins Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss, offered its customers the opportunity to loan assets to crypto lender Genesis in a program that promised high interest rates, according to a press release from the SEC. Called the Gemini Earn program, Gemini facilitated the transactions and allegedly earned fees as high as 4.3%. However, the SEC's complaint filed January 12th in New York federal court says investor withdrawals were paused in November, after Genesis announced it lacked sufficient funds following the collapse of crypto exchange FTX and subsequent instability in the crypto market. Gemini Earn, which was terminated earlier this month, allegedly holds approximately $900 million of assets from 340,000 investors. Wow. Wow. That's a shitload of investors. Okay, uh, the recent collapse of crypto asset lending programs and the suspension of Genesis program and Genesis's program underscore the critical need for platforms offering securities to retail investors to comply with federal securities laws, said such and such director of the SEC's enforcement division in a statement. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm not one that I like the SEC getting involved with this, but because I think the free market is better, but at the same time, people expect that. And if the SEC is not getting involved, then people are like, oh, well, this is, this must be a good opportunity because they're not shut down. Right. And they're pretty, you know, high 
what, what term am I looking for? They're high profile. The Winklevoss twins are high profile. Gemini is a high profile thing. They took out all those ads in New York. Uh, I mean, they're probably advertising this earn program in New York City on these buses and on the billboards and, and all of that stuff. Uh, so this is a high profile company that these the SEC just snoozed on the whole time. They've snoozed on the whole industry. Yesterday, I, I can't kind of was like, man, you know, this is curiously timed right with the exponential curve on the Bitcoin price, breaking some of this resistance and going, uh, you know, looking like it could be setting a bottom or turning around at this point. And now we get the SEC coming after Gemini. I mean, it just seems a little bit, a little bit weird on a coincidental on the timing. Anyway, all right, let's continue this. Tyler Winklevoss tweeted that Gemini is working hard to recover funds and was disappointed that the SEC announced its charges before notifying the company. Genesis and Gemini did not respond to requests for comment. Okay, and then I have a response here, tweet from Tyler Winklevoss, and he is saying, it's disappointing that the SEC chose to file an action today as Gemini and other creditors are working hard together to recover funds. This action does nothing to further our efforts and help earn users get their assets back. Their behavior is totally un or counterproductive. That's an interesting take. So he's saying they're trying to get customers' funds back. And you know the history going on here with uh, DCG and Genesis and Gemini. And they're trying to work out and get their money back. There's some power politics happening, I'm sure, behind the scenes here. But yeah, it's also a good point. Like, why do they do it now, right as Bitcoin is pumping? That could, you know, Bitcoin pumping could solve a lot of these people's problems. I'm just saying. Um, and so it's weird that the timing is the way it is. If I leaned towards believing those type of uh, coincidences are more conspiracy than not, I would have to say that, you know, I'd have to say like, look, this is obviously time to as an attack on Bitcoin. But I don't know. I don't. I don't know really if it is or not. Uh, but it, it, the timing is definitely uh, suspicious here. All right, let's continue with this, Tyler Winklevoss. As a matter of background, the Earn program was regulated by the New York Department of Financial Services. That was DYNYDFS, and we've been in discussions with the SEC about the Earn program for more than seventeen months. They never raised the prospect of any enforcement action until after Genesis paused withdrawals on November 16th. So they've that's, that's a good point. All of this criminal activity was going on, and the SEC never talked about it being criminal, never raised it, the, pros, the prospect of any enforcement action until after it blew up. What in God's name is that for consumer protection? The whole time they know what's going on and they don't do anything. They don't even, they're talking with the Winklevoss. Obviously they're well-connected and they never bring up any type of enforcement action idea or any sort of say, hey guys, this doesn't look so good. You probably shouldn't do this earn product. Right. They don't even say that. They they wait till after everybody is hurt. How is that consumer protection? It's not, obviously. 
All right, let's continue. Despite these ongoing conversations, the SEC chose to announce their lawsuit to the press before notifying us. Super lame. (laughs) It's unfortunate that they're optimizing for political points instead of helping us advance the cause of 340,000 earned users and other creditors. We look forward to defending ourselves against this manufactured parking ticket. And we will make sure this doesn't distract us from the important recovery work, work we are doing. But seriously, that is the what is the point of urgency here? The EARN program has been shut down for almost two months. For the avoidance of doubt, Gemini has always worked hard to comply with all relevant laws and regulations. Any suggestion to the contrary is unsupported by the facts. Wow. Yeah, the timing just... I wonder what you guys have to say uh, over there on Telegram, if you guys have any comments on this. But, um, yeah, it just seems pretty, pretty crazy. Okay, last thing we're going to talk about here real quick is let me find this. So this is the thread by Across the Spread on Twitter. Weston Nakamura. All right, and he's talking about the BOJ. Just to put a scale on the BOJ's daily JGB buying market fighting crisis into context on thursday alone the boj bought 4.6 trillion yen in jgb so what is that it's about 130 how many times is that going there uh let's just say three times so that's oh gosh public math here no two zeros okay so that's about 20 billion dollars is that does that check? Somebody check my public math here. 4.6 trillion divided by 140. I think that's roughly 20, 30 billion, something like that. Anyway, um, so that was in a single day that they did that. And then 9 trillion yen. Okay, 9 trillion yen. What BOJ had upped its monthly scheduled JGB buying to in December. In other words, the BOJ bought half their one month planned amount in one day. Wow, pretty crazy, pretty, pretty nuts. Let's take a look at this. I'm going to pull up the Japanese 10 year and go back to the chart. All right, this is what we're looking at here for the guys on Telegram. I think I posted that yesterday, but that's what we're looking at. And yeah, they they haven't been able to keep it under the 0.5 ceiling, but they didn't keep it below the 0.25 ceiling either for a long period of time. I mean, pretty much all of, let's see, starting in March of 2022, it was breaking the ceiling almost every day. I mean, it looks like more days broke the ceiling in the last nine months of 2022 than it didn't. So... We, all, we even had a, several closes above the ceiling. So you can see where the candle, so actually let's put this on a line and you can see where the closes are. And so the closes, there's tons of closes. So even towards the end there, it, was, it wasn't even going down below, but um, obviously yield curve control doesn't work. And what I've been saying for the longest time is, that the market is in charge, right? The market is in charge and the market needed to go up. 
Japan could continue with their 0.25 and say, we're in control. I mean, it's called yield curve control. They could continue with that 0.25 or 0.5, whatever they're doing. But the market would eventually break them, which it did. The market broke them. The market's in charge. Yield curve control is silly. It doesn't work. Um, it's just a marketing scam, just like it. Uh, just like uh, all the other stuff with the Federal Reserve and the central banks. It's just a marketing scam. I, I don't know what's going to come of this. Probably the market's going to cool off. Um, Japan's CPI has been heating up for the first time in decades. So we'll see what comes of that. I'll have to look more into what's going on with their government budget. I know that their defense spending has been going up quite dramatically. So I haven't looked, I haven't even researched at all about their government spending, if it's higher than normal or what, but um, yeah, that's all I really have to say about this. I, I don't have anything super insightful other than yield curve control doesn't work. It will never work. They'll have to get rid of it at some point. Um, and that's about it. All right. So I'm going to go back to this one and open up the mic to guys over on Telegram. If you have any comments on the Gemini twins, any comments on the price breakout, any comments on the um, the yield curve control. All right. Sven. What's up, man? Hey, Ansel. Hey, just yield curve control. Uh, Lynn Alden mentions that the U.S. did it in the, what, the 40s, and it seemed to kind of work. Can you touch on why it worked then or not and what that might mean? Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is that is long before the modern monetary system or the modern financial system. So what worked back then doesn't necessarily work now. Um, even the theory is all different that the central bankers use. I haven't really looked at that period for at least that part of that period very much. I do know that uh, I did look at the CPI back then and after World War II when, you know, World War II was a huge, um, obviously, supply chain disruption. The, that was probably the biggest one since or before COVID, you know, you have to go back all the way to World War II to find something at least comparable to what we went through with COVID. So um, I was looking at CPI then and yeah, CPI really picked up the Federal Reserve, their policy rate as far as i know it was set at like one eight no what was it set at three eighths i think it was, they, they still did you know the eighths of a point and i think it was set at three eighths of a percentage point for that whole post-war period because their idea was you know they hold it low so we can do rebuilding and all this stuff um but cpi continued to go up and then I think CPI peaked around like 1948 or something. And then it crashed down in 1949. It crashed down to negative 15% or, I mean, something absolutely insane. So the, comparing to today, I would say that they held the policy rate flat. CPI ran wild, then dropped, just like we're seeing now. I mean, there's no difference in how CPI is acting. The only difference is in the policy of the Federal Reserve. But if, if just look back in the 40s, they did nothing 
and CPI crashed too. Now they're doing something and CPI is crashing anyway. So like, what does the Fed actually do? Um, I would say they probably did more back then because one, we had less credit. It was still on the gold standard. You know, we were just starting Bretton Woods. So the gold standard was quite well established at that point. Um, so there was different monetary factors involved than today. You know, today with a uh, pure credit-based system that's based on overnight funding and repo as the plumbing and, uh, you know, just the crazy extent that the market has gotten to today, I think it puts today in a different bucket than back then. So I, I can't answer your question specifically about yield curve control back then, uh, but that's what I would, that's my thoughts on the 40s. Hope that uh, makes sense. Yeah, thank, thanks. Yes, sir. All right, anybody else? Raise your hand. I'll bring it in. While I'm waiting for that, guys, just an admin note for those live watching on YouTube, Ansel Linder, Bitcoin and Market, subscribe and put turn your notifications on. Go over to Rumble, subscribe over there too, because I'm trying to get to enough subscribers so that I can live stream. You know, they have a, a certain limit there. And uh, those joining me on Twitter, welcome. Follow on Twitter. You can join the Telegram, everybody, at t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. And lastly is the podcast, guys. So I put this out as a podcast, usually the next day, but could be a couple days later. Uh, so if you guys are listening on the podcast, uh, check check all the links out in the show notes wherever you're, wherever you're listening. Well, no other questions, comments, concerns. That's going to wrap it for today. Thanks for joining. Peace.